Welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. And we are those people. I'm Mike Bowdenistel, joined by Joanna Furlow Marsh. Joanna, you've been talking a lot about furloughs at Union Pacific. We do have a lot to say about Union Pacific uh, today. Um, so that's where I'm going to start off. Uh, so you talked a little bit about it this morning on FreightWaves Now, UP announced maintenance away furloughs. We have an article up um, as of yesterday, which uh, shows Union Pacific locomotive piece of uh, on, on the art there. So what can you tell me about this at a high level? Yeah, so um, let me see. So the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division um, had reached out to the Surface Transportation Board um, in mid-late October, um, mentioning that there could be as many as uh, over 1,300 um union members, so maintenance of way uh, workers, um, furloughed um, in the upcoming uh, fourth, you know, months of the fourth quarter. Um, and uh, and actually, this question of furloughs was brought up um, at the Rail Trends Conference, um, Rail, Tony Hatch's Rail Trends Conference um, mm -hmm. in New York. Um, and so if you look back at some of um, the, the one of the articles um, written by my, you know, our colleague, John Kingston, um, it does refer to furloughs there. It doesn't really name specifically those, you know, the over a thousand ones, but um, mm -hmm. um, according to UP, uh, the, the furloughs that are mentioned in the article are actually the ones that um, the maintenance way um, folks are um, uh, concerned about. So, um, yeah. And so of course, you know, UP, responded to, to, to those saying, you know, those, those furlough concerns. Um, and then, um, and then I think, um, the union sent a second letter after that rail trends conference kind of, um, so kind of expressing their concern about, you know, um, how furloughs could affect, um, not just new hires, but, but also you know, because, because it's over, um, uh, a thousand, uh, people who, who could be affected. Um, mm -hmm. It could affect not only just like new hires, but, but those who have been on the job for a while. So you're kind of, um, so there's a concern from the unions about um, uh, how that would affect sort of, you know, expertise um, and experience um, at the railroad. Uh, so, yeah. And I mean, you know, um, Union Pacific uh, has declined to say exactly how many um, people could be furloughed. Uh, um, you know, they they said, well, you know, you know, you have to factor in um, the vacation time and and um, you know and and whether uh, those who get called back will return to those positions or if they'll move elsewhere in the network, you're like doing something else. Um, and you know, and so they they were hesitant to to pinpoint a number or even a, a range of, of how many um, people could be affected by this. Um, but the, uh, but the um, union spokesperson said yesterday that, um, you know, that they're, they're, you know, planning to, to talk to Union Pacific this week. And so I'm not sure exactly what will happen at that discussion, but um, perhaps, you know, if, if it is about, you know, well, obviously it will be about furloughs, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, if, if there are furloughs pending, like, um, you know, what sort of terms can be arranged, uh, um uh to sort of ease the, the pain or, or just you know i i'm not sure exactly but you know 
Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of some interesting things that came out of this. I mean, it's interesting. It seemed like the the street liked it. If you look at a stock chart the last few days, Union Pacific has has picked up some steam. I mean, it's still uh, underperforming versus the S and P year to date, up about twelve percent versus S and P, up about eighteen percent. You see Union Pacific stock in, in black there, and you see the past few days was up. So this is from you know this as of you know late yesterday, up a little bit, up one percent. Let's let's call it, but. Um, so, so it's, it seems like, you know, is, is the, the question that the railroads are going back to the old playbook that Jim Venna is proponent of uh, PSR, which means to, to a lot of people reducing costs, uh, minimizing the operating ratio, uh, sort of this range that you give in your article, 1180 to 1350 people, that would be something like a 16.7% cut to the number of maintenance of way workers. And you think of maintenance of way workers as um, basically people that are, are maintaining the track, which is a very capital intensive um, you know, portion of what the railroads do. There's also an interesting chart you have in here on um, a total employees, uh, comparison of total employees versus maintenance of way employees at uh, Union Pacific. And sort of the, the total number of employees is this orange line on the right axis. So there's just under 35,000. I looked at their, at their, at their 10K and it said 33,179 as of the end of 2022. And then the blue um, lines are uh, maintenance of way workers. And so if you sort of look at the, at the entirety of the chart, it's kind of like, well, they've kind of been you know reduced in proportion to the total, uh, maybe at times they were um, reduced a little bit more in 2018, a little bit less in 2019, 2020. But another thing that's interesting about this is you look at the number uh, today versus go back to right before the pandemic, and it looks pretty similar to me, or, or even a little bit less than where it was, let's say, December 2019. I mean, certainly it's certainly it's less in terms of total number of employees. But it even looks less um, a little bit in terms of the, the maintenance uh, in, employees. So it does make you wonder: are, are they, you know, doing enough in in maintenance? And the other thing I thought that was interesting was that I guess one, in your article, I mean, one of the reasons that the Union Pacific gave for the furloughs in terms of like why now is they cited this tropical storm. You know, Hillary in Southern California prompted Union Pacific to cut back on. Um, spending for, for budgetary reasons. And and I, I guess intuitively, I would think that if there was a, dis, a storm that was disrupted, you would need more maintenance of way workers because you would have to maintain the track, maybe repair the track, maybe make sure that the geometry is correct, all of those things. So so what did you think about that um, as, a, as a reason for this? Yeah, I, you know, so all that corresponds, I, I think is unavailable on the Surface Transportation Board website. So you can, um, so people can, can look at uh, what um, uh, both Union Pacific and, and the um, Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way um, Union, um, what they submitted to, to the board. I think um, according, I think according to the union submissions, um, it's their, their opinion is that um, UP spent all the money it, it did um, on you know, the, it had a budget and it spent most of its budget on the first three quarters. And, and then when the fourth quarter came, they, they realized they didn't have enough. So um, that's kind of, I, I think that's essentially what, what how, how they interpret things. Um, and then I should also mention that um, Union Pacific is also arguing that, you know, some of these um, positions are, are, are seasonal. And so um, as, you know, as, as people, 
you know, people are aware, you know, the, the rail industry has, you know, in the past, um, uh, conducted furloughs on a seasonal basis. Um, they haven't done that in several years, uh, but that is something that has been done in the past. So they're kind of, you know, referring to the the, the older way of doing things, which is kind of what you were, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, with that that focus mm -hmm. on on um, addressing, you know, the operating ratio of that that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple other stats here I think are interesting. Is as you look at their at their volume, and I wouldn't have thought that this was would have been a tremendous amount of variance relative to what they were budgeting. So you look at sort of carload volume year to date. Union Pacific is down zero point four percent, so um, not not a tremendous amount, uh, less than half a percent in terms of the rail carloads. Look at intermodal units down three point one percent year to date. Maybe that was a negative variance overall relative to. To, to their budget, but both of those things in total, um, you know, it's surprising that, that would you know require, you know, sixteen or seventeen percent reduction in maintenance of way workers, and both of those volume metrics actually better than the BNSF. Uh, interestingly, you know, BNSF had had sharper you know declines than that, and I guess you know the the, the question is is this sort of you know, an issue of, well, the cult of the OR is back, as Tony Hatch likes to say, he likes to use that phrase. Um, so I'll ask him that when we have him on the show uh, next week. But then the other question is, well, when they want these these workers back from the furloughs, let's say more maintenance work needs to be done. Let's say volumes grow, you know, next year or the year after, will they come back or are they just going to find something else to do and they'll be happy doing those other things? I think that's kind of the, the, the key question, um, you know, now. And then the railroads used to be able to seemingly you know, furlough the work, workers they need to, needed to furlough without a lot of, of, of pushback from the STB. Now there is that pushback, um, but, you know, chairman of the STB is um, not going to seek re-election. Will the others be, you know, quite as adamant that this, this isn't, a, this is not a practice that should continue. Um, so I, I can, I can sort of, I can sort of see it both ways, but you know, you, you, there does need to be some flexibility, I think, in terms of, you know, have, being staffed for the right amount of the work that needs to be done, because it is difficult to predict volume. It is difficult to predict the, some of these some of these weather events. Um, but I want to move on to uh, another article that you wrote last few days. Um, Union Pacific, also, also sticking with Union Pacific here, they're opening a Phoenix terminal, uh, intermodal, Phoenix intermodal terminal, and expanding on-dock capabilities in Houston uh, for, for intermodal. And some of the highlights here is they're going to start with a hub for that's designed for international intermodal. So let's talk 40-foot containers, 20-foot containers in, in Phoenix with the potential to expand into domestic intermodal at some point in the future. The idea is to have the connections between Ports of LA and Long Beach uh, versus consumption centers in the southwest. Um, you also mentioned that BNSF was looking at Phoenix, um, looking to acquire about 3,000 uh, acres last year. And then uh, there's this other um, initiative that uh, is you know, quasi-related to it, also on, on intermodal, where they're doing more on-dock rail from the Port of Houston. We know the Port of Houston has been perhaps the fastest growing port um, in you know, North America. Maybe Prince Rupert might be the other one. And some of these are the, that you see on the map here, for those looking at the visual part of it, some of these are traditional locations like Chicago, uh, so that Global 4 terminal, Kansas City. But then some of these other destinations are you know, relatively um, you know, new and really not ones that have a tremendous amount of intermodal volume. And sort of that, that, the Phoenix location we're just talking about, not a tremendous amount of intermodal volume as of yet. Same thing with Salt Lake City, 
Denver, you know, some of those locations, population growing very quickly, not a lot of intermodal in and out of those locations. We did hear at, at, um, at our conference in Chattanooga, F3, that J.B. Hunt, which uses you know, BNSF, they were talking about expanding their services into Phoenix and Denver. So a lot of these, these cities in the mountain time zone, they do seem to be growth areas within, um, within the intermodal sector. And I think that's something that, you know, if you're going to make a list of sort of reasons why intermodal is still a growth area within transportation, reasons why it's not, I think a lot of these initiatives are, are really the reasons why intermodal is potentially still a growth area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I think, you know, you still have that 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 wider um, argument about, you know, uh, trying to, <laughs> the, the, the proverbial, you know, trying to, to win back share from cracks or something. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't build it, they won't come. So, <laughs> I mean, at yeah. the very least. Um, you have that that option, and it is interesting actually that you've pointed out, you know, the the, the mountain, uh, the mountain time zone cities, um, you know, considering because you know you, there's been a lot of noise about you know connecting like the southeast with Mexico, and so, um, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, you have, you have this other region here, um, and then it kind of you know, and, and it's just kind of you know, then just kind of looking at it, even sort of. Um, more from a, I can't think of the term now, but, uh, but, you know, just, I'm just thinking about all the, um, all these arrangements that have been, um, that been made for, for intermodal, you know, since the, um, um, Canadian Pacific, Kansas City Southern merger. And granted, you know, they're not exactly, um, it's, it's not, it's not the same, (laughs) you know, competition necessarily like, uh, these, these, uh, it looks like just looking at the map right now with the Union Pacific. I mean, not necess- it's not necessarily that you know that it's, it's uh, they're going to be competing with like CPKC, but but it's just mm-hmm. that idea of a more north north south um, uh, um, a- access. I think is is interesting. Yeah, there really have been a lot of partnerships announced um, between the various railroads, and, and you wonder if any of those would have been announced without. CPKC, was it just a competitive response to CPKC? The other thing that's interesting about some of those cities on that map is they're really centers of consumption. When you sort of think about how intermodal might compete with with truckload, they're really deeply backhaul markets. So more freight goes into those cities than comes out of those cities. So they're not desirable if you're a long haul trucker and you see, you know, load that's being tendered, you know, it's gonna take you to, to Denver. That's pretty undesirable. It's almost always a, a backhaul market. You know, Phoenix is too. Salt Lake is too. You know, Phoenix is maybe changing a little bit because there's been more sort of beverage production. But most of those cities in that um, in that mountain time zone, you know, there's a lot more freight that goes in that goes out. So it, it seems like that's one where it can be at times very expensive to source, um, you know, inbound uh, freight. Into those into those cities, um, so intermodal, you know, the the rails hauling is, is handling the long haul portion of the move. You just have a local drainage company, you know, within that city. Um, that seems a lot easier to to, to deal with. Um, I want to move on to this other uh, article you wrote on um, you know Wednesday of last week. You're talking about the chances for the Senate to move forward on a rail safety bill. It seems unlikely uh, by the end of this year, and. You think back to earlier this year, like one of the big events of 2023 was this East Palestine, Ohio derailment, 
which um, you know got to be a bigger deal because of just how much uh, you know black smoke it, it caused. Uh, you know the pictures were pretty dramatic because there was a, a controlled uh, you know, burn. Uh, the first responders decided that was the safest approach uh, was to was to burn those chemicals. You could take a picture of that from from the airplane. And it seemed almost almost certain back uh, in the early part of the year, uh, back in the first quarter, that there would be some rail safety legislation. And here we are now in December, and the status it just seems like it's maybe not a priority anymore. Even though there was a similar a, a derailment caused potentially by a similar issue on CSX not long ago. I mean, it seems like the issue was that the wheel bearings heated up to a level that was. Um, that created uh, fire and it wasn't detected uh, in time by um, the, the sensor. Um, but are you surprised at all? I mean, did you think that that those would be um, that, that you would have legislation, you know, by now? And do you think it's a still a 2024 event um, this Rail Safety Act, or do you think it's just something that is just never going to be a, a high priority? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because, like, on one hand, like, I, I'm of two minds. Like, because uh, on one hand, I, I did think, you know, that it, it seemed like that there was a lot of momentum going forward um, for a while, like for those those several weeks after um, East Palestine. But then it just seemed, you know, after after that vote through the Senate Commerce Committee, um, that it, it just well, seeing I think that 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 vote found mostly along party lines, kind of was my. Mm-hmm. Me personally, <laughs> uh, just kind of my my the the, the inkling of hmm, I'm not sure how this is going to go, um, because you know when they were when they first introduced the bill and, and even when it passed the the Commerce Committee, you know they're sort of touting it as a bipartisan bill, but really what it was was just um, you know JD Vance of Ohio, who is a Republican, um, you know signing on to this bill that was been mostly supported by Democrats. Although I should take that back, I think actually Marco Rubio supported it um, when it first came out. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. uh, not to slam Marco Rubio, of course, but um, <laughs> but um, let me see. But yeah, I I, I don't know. It, it it seems it's funny because it you had all that momentum, but, you know, over the summer, I think even then, you know, there were questions about prospects of it um, going through the Senate without, you know, managing those 60 votes to avoid a filibuster. And, um, and mm-hmm. I think even then when it seemed unlikely that that was going to happen, it, it didn't really, you know, other than maybe the, the rail labor unions, it, it didn't really seem to, um, have much traction from 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 other stakeholders. Um, obviously, the rail industry, um, I, I think, prefers to 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 self regulate uh, in general. And so, like you know, they're not necessarily mm-hmm. going to push for it. Um, they're going to uh, not to say that they're not going to pursue safety, but you know, they have their own way of doing things. Um, and then, you know, of course, even though rail shippers you know, we're, um, we're in the discussions in crafting this rail safety bill. It's not necessarily something that they would push for either. And so you really just had um, labor were the ones who were kind of interested in seeing this go through. And I, and I suppose you could also say, um, you know, uh, I don't say community activists, but, but, but those who, 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 um, you know, who, 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 uh, I don't say have a close connection to East Palestine, but, you know, just, is that, that idea. Mm-hmm. That, you know, yeah. 
community people pushing things forward. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was surprised. I mean, I, I was surprised that it was as partisan as it was because it's just hard to stand up in Congress and be against safety. Like, even if you're generally against regulations, um, and, you know, that's what surprised me. And the rail industry sometimes it's more, like you said, I mean, based on geography than than anything else. Um, but uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe it, it comes to you know a vote next uh, year. Maybe it doesn't. Um, on that. Uh, you're also working on a couple of stories. I understand um, talking to the short line association again, is it, is it Chuck Baker that you're, you're, you're talking with yeah. again? Yeah. Yeah. So we had Chuck yeah. on um, you know, PSR uh, some, some time ago. Um, you know, what was new with, with Chuck and, and the short line? Yeah. So um, just a, so I'm um, kind of towards the year and we're kind of writing a series of articles one is just kind of looking at what was big in 2023 but also um what stakeholders are looking at in 2024 um and so i think um a, a number of the a number of those issues of course are have been ongoing in 2023 and aren't necessarily going away of course you have the rail safety legislation but you know you have for shippers you have reciprocal switching and how that's going to um come along especially um with you know with with chairman marty oberman of the service transportation board and not not seeking another mm -hmm. term and how that might affect the momentum of things before the board um for the labor unions uh so i have so far i've interviewed several stakeholders and still have some other interviews lined up over the next mm -hmm. two weeks but um but yeah, Chuck Baker of the American Shortline and Regional Railroad Association was, was one of the people I, I've talked to. Um, and of course, for, for them, it's um, one of the big issues, of course, is the the the, uh, the zero emissions rule for, for locomotives um, that was passed by the mm -hmm. California Air Resources Board. Mm -hmm. And of course, their concern is that that rule could somehow um, influence or could could also pop up in, in other states if, if not influence how you know other states could potentially regulate um uh locomotive emissions so um yeah yeah, yeah. lots of stuff happening <laughs> yeah i mean that, that electric locomotive like he gave some pretty um sort of eye-popping stats on that when we interviewed him on psr he said that the short line railroads they would typically buy locomotives that are used that are several decades old and they would usually uh, be able to acquire one for about a hundred thousand dollars considering that it is several decades old you know a new locomotive be you know two and a half million dollars three million dollars something like that but these electric locomotives would be like five or six million dollars and so it would be a situation where potentially short line you know could they be required to buy these electric locomotives just completely change the economics of the, the capital structure, um, capital is required to, to run a short line, you know, railroad. That's you know pretty big concern. The other thing that stood out when we interviewed him uh, to me was that he was pretty complimentary on the rail service, and he said that you know the rail service, you know, he had gotten a lot better, and he called out CSX uh, specifically as ones where the railroads that were under his association, that American Short Line and Regional Railroad Association, that that um, you know basically contracted with CSX that that. You know, they were very happy with the, the 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 rail service. It'll be interesting to read your article with him. Uh, you know, I, I, um, to to see if that is still true on the rail service issue. And then, uh, similarly with the American Chemistry Council, I think you're talking to them. We had them on uh, PSR also, and uh, you know, their big thing, at least from what I recall from that interview, is that 
they were really looking forward to the reciprocal switching and having something there. I'm sure that they thought the proposed rule did not go far enough because a lot of those chemicals, there's really no alternative, um, you know, rather than the, the, the railroad. So those will be up. Will they be up before the end of the year? We'll, we'll look forward to those um, articles. You know, I'm not really sure. It'll either be like at the end of the year um, or like at the beginning of January. So, but, but fairly soon. It's it just, personally, it's just weird to think that it's December 5th already. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm still mentally stuck yeah, in September. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So everyone, if you're not already signed up for the FreightWaves Rail newsletter, just find one of Joanna's articles and go down to the bottom and there uh, should be a link to sign up for those um, for that newsletter and you'll never miss a FreightWaves Railroad article. So uh, with that, hope everyone has a good one.